Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Wednesday, October the 12th, 2022. For many people, many of my guests, many writers, um, the world is a dark and mm -hmm. troubling place. Uh, COVID, the threat of nuclear war, perhaps in Ukraine, uh, the inequities of capitalism, racism, and so on and so forth, has certainly um, spurred, triggered a number of interesting books and takes on how to deal with this dark reality. Um, last week, I talked to the author Lynn Melnick. Uh, she has a new book out called I've Had to Think Up a Way to Survive and Her Way of Surviving, is um, embracing the music and spirit of Dolly Parton. It's one very original way. Yesterday, uh, I talked to the essayist Nora McInerney, the author of Bad Vibes o Only and other things I bring to the table. Uh, Nora seems to suggest that the best way to um, the best way to make sense and perhaps fight back. Uh, in, in, in this troubling world is to acknowledge uh, grief and to deal with it directly. Uh, my guest today has a different take. Uh, Trisha Hersey um, is the author of a fascinating new book, very intriguing, called Rest is Resistance, a Manifesto. And she, she seems to be suggesting that rest is the way to respond, not Dolly Parton, not mm -hmm. focusing on grief, um, and Trisha, I'm thrilled, is awake, and she's joining us from <laughs> New York City. Uh, Trisha, the book is just out yesterday. Congratulations. I I'm sure you didn't rest your way to that book. You had to stay up to write it, didn't you? No. Yeah. Writing the book was a, a hell nightmare. Writing it during COVID, when my mom was sick. Everyone in my family had got COVID. My own health issues, being exhausted from the anxiety of just trying to deal with this new reality, this new world that was being ushered in because of the pandemic. And so, yeah, it was a um, faith walk and it was a deep, deep practice and in tapping into writing really as a spiritual practice. I had to go deep and uncover some things. Uh, Trisha, in an odd way, it, it is the act of writing this book, which, as you said, um, was in incredibly challenging. I've written mm -hmm. several books. Every time you write a new one, you swear you'll never do a, a new one. But it's always... <laughs> They're always as bad as, as, as the last one. They're always worse in some ways. Okay. Isn't that, in an odd way, the act, your act of writing a book, this rest is resistance and manifesto, an argument against rest? Um, yeah, I think that we have to understand that being able to rest in a capitalist, white supremacist society and this toxic society that um, we are residing in is always going to be this deep balance. It's going to be you're being pulled into the grips of grind culture. It'll be pulling you back in and then you'll be trying to make your way out. So it really is a, um, a battle, a beautiful battle, um, a lifelong uh, love practice for yourself to be able to um, find ways to um, embody rest find ways to craft a rest practice when all of culture all around you is attempting to, for you not to rest. And so that is really the idea of this idea of resistance, this idea of creating a new reality and um, building a new way, like imagining a new world and what it could be. So I have, I'm under no 
like premonitions that it's going to be easy and that um, because we are resisting um, grind culture via rest that we won't be pulled back into it, that we won't have this on back and forth, you know, balance back and forth dance, I would say, um, in trying to like really um, embody this. Uh, you talk about um, grind culture and an, uh, an interview you did with Vogue magazine. You talk about hustle culture. W what exactly is hustle or grind culture? Is that just uh, mm -hmm. a different way of describing capitalism? Well, I would, I really like to use the word grind culture. It's very rarely that I've never really used hustle culture. I believe the writer there decided to pin it that I talk about in my book, I name explicitly grind culture as a deep collaboration between uh, two systems, capitalism and white supremacy, them coming together um, to create a way in which human bodies aren't looked at as divine. Human bodies are seen as um, a tool for production and labor. I, I trace um, the beginnings of these um, things. I put them together when I look at the, the archives and look at um, American history and the history of the American sin of slavery um, in this culture. And so I look at grind culture as a pervasive, deep collaboration between those two systems working um, deeply um, and systematically for uh, to look at a body as not being human, to see it as a machine, to see it as simply something to be used to um, gain wealth and for production. Yeah, I thought of you yesterday. We did a show with uh, the author Sean Kingsley on mm. Enslaved, the sunken history of the transatlantic slave trade. That. And he was telling some I mean, I don't know what words you can use to describe the, the fate of, of... I mean, it's bad enough to be put into slavery and then to be killed on, on boats, drowned by the slavers is, is particularly bad, obviously. I mean, particularly mm -hmm. appalling. Um, mm -hmm. Is this just a black thing, Tricia? I mean, can whites participate in rest is resistance? Can we be part of your manifesto? Or is it specifically Absolutely. for African-Americans? No, absolutely. I mean, that's probably, I've probably gotten that question a, a million times. Well, I apologize I told, for the million no. and one times. <laughs> million and one, but I love to reiterate it because it is really the heartbeat of this work. Um, that question becomes the heartbeat of, of a, a manifesto and of a movement that is attempting to begin for people to decolonize, for them to really begin to start deprogramming from the toxic brainwashing that we all are under. Every single person, um, no matter what their background, their origin story, they are being bamboozled and tricked by white supremacy and capitalism. I think white people in particular believe that white supremacy is just something that happens to the, you know, the poor people of color. And that's so, that's terrible. But actually white supremacy has robbed white people of their own humanity. Of It's a spiritual deficiency. It's robbed you of your ability to be um, human, to be in touch with, with your, um, divinity to be able to see another person as less than you. When I think about also slavery and what was happening to um, black bodies during it, like that really is a full on bamboozlement. It is a brainwashing for you to be able to believe that it was appropriate or it was okay that, that another body could be looked at as something other than just a miracle. And so I think for us to be able to resist white supremacy and capitalism in this culture, everyone is under um, its, its um, spell. Everyone is a part of, everyone has an origin story and a legacy that um, is deep in that. And so because of that, 
Um, this work is for all people. It's a global bomb for all of humanity. Now it is from a black, uh, a black uh, liberation lens. It comes from the lens of black scholarship and it comes from me being a black woman. And it looks at all of the different um, ways in which I've been able to um, interact with that. But I believe that that doesn't matter. I believe that um, no one is free until we're all free, that this interconnectedness that we have um, as humans resides in the place that we all will have to resist this um, force deeply. And so I tell everyone, um, white supremacy and capitalism wants us all on the clock, working, looks at us, us all as people who are to be here to build wealth. And so it dehumanizes us all. You're known as the... Nat Bishop. I'm not sure why you refer to yourself as the Nat Bishop. Um, you're a poet, you're a performance artist um, and an activist. I mean, how much of this, Trisha, is metaphorical versus literal? I mean, obviously, there's a poetic element to it. There's a performative element. Um, are you really in this book, in this manifesto, getting people to simply rethink their lives rather than actually leave their jobs? Because we all need to earn money to pay our rent and feed our children. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this work, this work is never about us being under some spell that we aren't living in what we are. It's actually a light being shined on the systems and allowing people to be able to find, find ways that they can begin to slowly and um, deeply begin to find rest in their lives in the best way that they can. And so we all know that we need to eat in the capitalist system. We need to, um, so this book does not tell people not to work, you know, not to, um, to just not do anything. I mean, that's like, doesn't make any sense. It, what this book is telling people is to tap into the divine energy that is inside of you, to be, have this awareness that resting and slowing down and sleeping is not a privilege. It's not a luxury. That is a divine and human right. It is our right to do that. And so it really is a full unraveling, helping people to see themselves as humans. I mean, what this culture does to us, you spoke about in the beginning, this toxic, dark culture that we're in. What it does to us is rip and steals our self-esteem and self-worth. People don't think that they deserve anything unless they are doing and going. They don't think they deserve to rest unless they have first completed an accomplishment or done their to-do list. So whenever you create your wealth worth as a human being, and when you put that together with um, how much you get done, then you're in a very, very um, dark and evil place. And so what this manifesto is, is just disillusionment, struggling back to hope. It's hoping to bring a new reality to existence. It wants to challenge and provoke it demands the impossible. It, man, it demands that you look at yourself and see all the ways that you've aligned with these systems, with white supremacy, with capitalism. And it's, it's bringing people back to their true nature. We did a show um, a few weeks ago with the journalist Rena Raphael on what mm -hmm. she calls the wellness scam. She has a new book out, The Gospel of Wellness, Gyms, Gurus, mm -hmm. Goop and the False Promise of Self-Care. Mm -hmm. We also did a, a show earlier this week with an apostle or a Apostleness, an apostleess of wellness, a woman called Melissa Urban, who has a new book out, The Book of Boundaries, Set Limits That Will Set You Free, which mm -hmm. I have to found, I found rather distasteful. Um, to what extent, uh, Tricia, is your book about wellness? And, and might somebody like Rena Raphael believe that it's a kind of scam? 
Mm-mm. No, this book is not uh, about wellness at all. Like I'm very clear. I don't call it wellness. This book in my work with the NAP ministry and my work on um, with this idea of restless resistance resides in a politics of refusal. This is um, social justice work. This is political work. Um, this is spiritual work. It, it has it is not wellness at all. It looks it goes deeper into the whole idea. It's not in any way a trend. Um, something that is a scam. It is deeply um, work that is deep centered in politics. It's a politics of refusal to rest and to say no, to push back against a system that looks at your body as just a machine. So the main tenet of our ministry is that rest is a form of resistance because it disrupts and pushes back right, the su supremacy. It actually disturbs the idea. It says no, um, I am enough now. It says you can't have me. It looks at the history of a culture that was built on the backs of indigenous and black people. Um, and it looks at that culture and it, it, it asks that culture to do some reckoning. It asks that culture to say, um, what have you done and what has it placed and what has it made for people to feel about their own bodies, for people to feel about their own lives. And so it um, calls, um, calls people to task and it actually um, is in that way, it provokes um, and challenges people to really look at what their alignment is with these systems. Most people don't think that the reason that they feel guilt about um, resting and shame about resting and why sleep deprivation is a public health issue in this culture they don't think that it goes back to the idea and the engine and the ideology of capitalism and white supremacy. They think that's just the way it is. We're supposed to grind. We're supposed to go. We're supposed to do. And so this becomes a beautiful pause in this um, world that goes on and on and on. It's, um, it's a disruption that's rooted deeply in politics. You call yourself the Nat Bishop, but there was a mm -hmm. Nat Bishop before you. Her name was Ariana. Her name is Ariana Huffington. She's <laughs> made a career out of mm -mm. Um, selling the idea of sleep. In fact, she's made mm -hmm. many tens of millions of dollars. She's, of mm -hmm. course, the founder of the Huffington Post, too. Uh, she, uh, a few years ago, uh, and in fact, she's been on my show, talks about why naps are extremely important. And she shares the secret of her success, which is sleep. How would you distinguish, Tricia, your work and your manifesto from someone like mm -hmm. Huffington, who, who, in my view at least, um, has sort of peddled the idea of mm -hmm. authenticity mm -hmm. and resistance to become extremely wealthy and powerful? Yeah. Well, I'll first say that there is only one Nat Bishop, so she's not the Nat Bishop. <laughs> I she's mean, this, bishop, she's not the main bishop. She, she, I understand and I know about her work a lot. I would say the difference between her and my work is that my work um, really goes deep into history. It looks at the archives. It looks if it looks at the systems that are making us unwell. It doesn't look at us resting to be more productive. A lot of her work centers itself on let's let's workers rest more. Workers should rest more. Please rest more. Sleep more because it'll make you a more productive worker. It'll make you better off. It'll make your success better. And I say the opposite. I say we're actually not resting to be more productive. We're not resting to be able to be refreshed and be whole enough that we can now get back on capitalism's clock and make it more money. What I'm saying is that you're, we're simply resting because it's our divine right to do so. And also, I think she doesn't uplift any other history around why we're 
we're at the place that we are right now. The fact that this whole culture is sleep deprived, the CDC has named sleep deprivation as a public health issue. It's not because people just don't know how to sleep. It's because the corporations, the systems, institutions are abusing workers. You know, I don't like the word burnout. I don't think, I think burnout is a corporate soft way of saying what it really doesn't want to say. Burnout is simply trauma showing up in people's bodies because they've been exploited by um, the people they work for. It's worker exploitation. It's looking at labor. So I don't think she peels back the um, lens enough and goes behind the veil to really begin to uplift the systematic ways in which this has been a part of our culture since its founding. When I was researching and, and working in the archives, looking at reading slave narratives and understanding that my ancestors were working 20 hours a day on cotton fields in the tobacco fields, trying to like create the economic engine of this culture. They were experimenting on my ancestors' bodies to see how far they could push one. Could they work 20 hours a day? Could they not eat and work? Could a mother have a baby in the field while she was picking and then go right back to work? Yes, all of those things happen. And so my work resides in deep scholarship around history, around the American sin of slavery, around the archives, around the voices of the people who have been most marginalized by um, capitalism, which has been Black and Indigenous people. Your, your thesis is that rest is resistance, and you suggest that we can dream our way towards a radically decolonized future. Let me quote mm -hmm. what you wrote. Uh, as my eyes closed, I began to imagine my braids rising to become propellers that would allow me to levitate and fly away to another planet. This planet has never experienced racism, sexism, classism, or any type of hate. People sleep up to 18 hours a day like cats. During the sleep time, their dreams produce all the labor they need to survive and thrive. Their food is grown via dreams. The planet is a sanctuary for black bodies that have been destroyed on Earth via violence and oppression. Some people might read that, um, Tricia, and say, well, you're, you're a utopian. You're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're religious in the sense that you're departing this world mm -hmm. and imagining something that's impossible. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, how would you respond to that? I will, I will clap and be so happy. I'm so happy for people to name me a dreamer and a person who um, demands the impossible and a person who dreams up ways to be the impossible. Um, I think about um, Harriet Tubman. I speak about her a lot in my book. She was called the same thing as she was dreaming herself free, as she was taking um, people on the Underground Railroad, walking to freedom and thinking of ways to escape and um, get away from um, slavery's um, evilness. And so I love the idea of being a dreamer in a culture like this, of being someone who wants to um, demand impossible things, who wants to um, create a new reality, to bring a new reality to existence, who sees a third space and alternative spaces um, as temporary spaces of joy, joy and freedom, as places that give deep hope. My, my entire family and my ancestors would have never survived if they weren't dreamers, if they didn't see the impossible, if they didn't understand that they could be in this world, in the world of toxic uh, white supremacy, in a world of when their own bodies weren't even owned by them, but they could, they didn't have to be in the world, you know, that they can be in it, but not a part of it, like that they could um, find a way to maroon themselves and find a way to create these temporary third spaces of freedom um, that would allow them to be able to, to keep on going, that would allow them to be able to um, imagine 
and create and um, have some type of joy and, and pleasure. Uh, Trisha, you're, I know you're a big fan of uh, the African-American poet, Audrey Lord. Um, we've done some shows on Lord. We did one with Maisha Cherry uh, back in 2021. Yeah. Uh, she, uh, Maisha Cherry actually has written an interesting book called The Case for Rage, mm-hmm. Why Anger is Essential to Anti-Racist Struggle. And she uses uh, Lord as inspiration for that. Um, yeah, is that compatible with your embrace mm-hmm. of Lord? I mean, what yeah. do you think Audrey Lord would think of of your work? The idea of rest yeah. of resistance. Yeah, I mean, I name Audrey Lord as one of the muses of this work. You know, she has a beautiful um, quote, and when she talks about the idea of um, of self care, you know, not being just this frivolous thing, but it actually being, you know, self preservation and a radical um, radical politics that actually is saving our lives. So I would imagine and hope it would be a dream if if she loved my work, if she thought my work was something that was um good for the world. I think that her idea of anger, when I think about rage, I speak about tender rage in my book. I think speak about the idea that I'm in a full rage, a tender rage though, about the ideas and what this culture has done to present to everyone that this culture has us so dizzy with the idea of production and dizzy with cap um, from capitalism that we can't see straight that we can't even understand that we weren't put on this planet simply to do simply to um make money simply to um be on the clock and, and accomplishing things on a to-do list that part of our life and being born grants us leisure and rest and peace and joy as well and so um i would love that she um would love my work and i think that her work really helps to center um my my thoughts her poetry is a beautiful um, idea of being able to create a new language. And so this idea of rest resistance is actually creating a new language. It's creating a new um, paradigm and a shift for people to be able to hold on to and to say, wait a minute, like, I didn't know this. You mean this and this? And so it really, I would say my work removes veils. It like helps a veil to be removed from our eyes in slow ways so that we can be in to come, come back to ourselves, begin to be more human. This return to ourselves is um, something that obviously uh, has appeared from time to time in, in intellectual history. Often it's seen, though, as a, a retreat from, mm-hmm. from politics, uh, a retreat into the self, a retreat into rest, a retreat into dreaming. We've done a number of shows, mm-hmm. um, Trisha, on the struggle for black women, African-American women to vote, one with Martha Jones mm-hmm. uh, called Vanguard, how black women broke barriers, won the vote and insisted on equality for all. Also, I've had a Carol Anderson, my old friend from Emory University on the mm-hmm. on the show many times. She has nice. a new book out, One Person, No Vote, How Voter Suppression is Destroying Our Democracy. Mm. You mentioned Harriet Tubman. I'm not suggesting you're against politics, but politics is not the heart of your book. What about mm. the role of politics in restism resistance? You're not suggesting people... Mm should just not vote and not participate. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely not. Mm -mm. My dad, when I turned um, 18, my father, when I I write about him a lot in the book, um, he really is um, the muse in a lot of ways for my entire life. He was a, um, you know, Pan-Africanist, 
black liberation theologian. He was deeply into the Black Panther Party, but he was also a black Pentecostal preacher in Chicago. And so he was a community activist and union organizer. He would be um, organizing union um, meetings in my living room, living room where my mother was cooking tacos in the back, you know, in the kitchen. And so I've grown up around a, a person who was deeply into politics and deeply into the understanding um, of what, what, what is existing, what we live in. And so when we, when we all turned 18, all of my siblings, he drove us all down to go register to vote. And he told us that you're going to vote in every single election, not just the presidential election, but in the local elections, you need to learn about who is in representing your, you know, where you live, you need to get involved in this. And so he said that it was, it was a symbolic um, gesture in a lot of ways. He talked about the idea that our ancestors couldn't vote. They, their right wasn't given to them. And so we must never miss a voting day. And so I've never missed a day of voting, including my local elections. Um, since I was 18 years old, I'm now 48. And so I look to my father and look to people like him who understood um, that the systems are here and that we must participate in them, that particularly local elections are so important. You know, when I go to some of my local elections in my neighborhood in Georgia, there's sometimes like 10 people there. And I'm like, there's where are the people who are voting, the people who are making ideas and decisions around our public schools and around what happens with our judges and around what happens in the criminal justice system. And so um, I think it is so important to be tapped in and tuned in. And I also believe that the connection to rest is that people are so caught up by capitalism, so exhausted working two, three jobs like my dad was. They really don't even simply have time to sit and, and research what's going on in their culture, what's research what's going on in their community. They're just working like zombies, getting up, going to bed, trying to eat and make a way. And so resting in that way could have helped people to begin to deepen into the idea of just being aware of what's around them, of tapping in and connecting. We're so disconnected from our own bodies, from our own each other from our communities that we really are allowing the systems to take hold and take reign while we're asleep and not what not seeing what's happening and so i say a lot that this idea of resting allows us to wake up you know it allows us to wake up to the truth of who we are and what's really happening trisha is american capitalism capable of reform there's a <laughs> brewing debate on in our post-neoliberal world about whether or not capitalism can be reformed, whether it can be made more moral, more responsible, more accountable. There are people, particularly, I think, conservatives who believe that social capitalism is a reality. And then there are progressives, people on the left, who believe that capitalism, by definition, is rotten. And the only way we can free ourselves and make a, a juster society is to get beyond capitalism. What's your take on this? Yeah, I don't think capitalism can be reformed. I think it's it's not redeemable at all. That's just how I personally feel. I believe something that was created in the foundation of it, how it was built, won't allow for any type of reform. I think that it, it definitely needs to be something else, you know, and I think people for hundreds of years have been writing and thinking and experimenting and coming up with ideas and pontificating on what could be in its place. 
And I don't think I'm here to like give the one in all way. I think that there's going to be um, infinite ideas around that, that there's going to be people always working um, in the margins and against um, what is already happening and making a way. And so I really um, hold firm and I'm very inspired by um, people who find ways to make a way despite what the systems are doing. Like that's really my um, clarion call and my North star. That's really what has held me up in the research is that, and I know a lot of people may not agree with that, but that's um, where I am and I won't make any excuses for it. I am deeply rooted in the politics of refusal. I'm deeply rooted in um, being creative and subversive, being inventive and flexible, being imaginative and tapping into the new ideas that we haven't even been able to dream up because we're too exhausted to do that. So I believe resting is generative, that resting must be the center and the foundation for any new dreams of liberation that we may have as a culture. We won't be able to get there from an exhausted body nor an exhausted mind. Maybe we should call you, Trisha, a, a rest socialist. <laughs> Socialism or communism has always been the alternative to capitalism. Do you yeah. embrace those terms? I mean, could we imagine a arrest socialism or communism? I mean, I've studied both the systems and I've, I've studied um, systems um, like that. I've studied other systems. And so I think I wouldn't be mad if you call me that, you know, I don't believe I would never label myself as either of those things. I wouldn't label myself um, under any of the systems. I say in the book that I don't belong to the systems, that I'm coming from this from a deep spiritual place, coming from a, um, a place of deep imagination to think about myself as being someone who isn't a part of these systems, even though I deeply am, you know, and so I'm, I'm straddling the lines between both. And I think about the uh, Maroons of North America. I wrote about them in my book. I wondered if you um, were able to you know, read about that and think about the idea of these people who were marooning themselves during slavery, who were jumping off of slave ships, who were running off plantations and going and living in caves and were there for 10, 15 years. They weren't fugitives. They were simply decided they weren't going to be um, held captive by the system. So they created these third spaces, these alternative places of joy and freedom. And so because of that, I really love Octavia Butler. I, I love the idea of science fiction and Afrofuturism and the idea of my grandmother, you know, sitting on the couch every day, resting her eyes when she had to go to her other job and her other job. Like these ideas of these uh, spaces of joy and freedom that Black people, that Indigenous people have been understanding. Um, when you live on the earth, when you live here, that you're able to... Um, make your own way. You're able to um, imagine and create systems, even though whatever is happening outside, we can still be free here. And so I'm deeply into imagination work and daydreaming. And for that reason, I would um, want to stay in the dream space and continue to imagine and continue to reclaim my body and time as my own. The deeper that I can do that, the more I feel like I'll get closer to liberation. Well, the act of dreaming is the heart of Rest is Resistance, a manifesto, an important new work by Trisha Hersey. It's just out. Congratulations again, Thank Trisha. You. I hope you get some nice rest after that I one. I will. Thank um, you so What other books? You, you mentioned a couple of books. What other books would you advise mm. people to read? We talked about uh, uh, Audrey Lord as well. Yes. And we've, we've talked about a couple of other books. Mm. What, what, what's on your reading list? What would you right. advise yeah. our viewers and, and listeners to read? 
right now I'm reading um, poetry. I'm, I'm a poet, so I love poetry. I think poetry is such a new language. It allows people to create a new language. So I'm reading A Good Cry by Nikki Giovanni. Nikki Giovanni is one of my favorite poets. I think if you read any of her books and sat with them and read a poem a day while you're drifting off to sleep, that would be beautiful. I also love the classics. Like I'm a person who reads lots of classics, who spends years and years in a book. I've been reading one book called um, Womanist Theological Ethics. I've been reading it for seven years. I have tabs in it throughout. I love that book. I also love Why We Can't Wait by Martin Luther King Jr. I think a lot of people um, don't know his writings. They know about his speeches and his I Have a Dream speech, but he was a um, pervasive writer. He wrote so much and his books are very, very radical. So Why We Can't Wait is this thin little book, but it's a gorgeous, um, really proclamation for freedom and a call out on all the systems that are holding us back. I mean, he wrote it back in the um, 50s, and um, but it seems like it could land, it could be read today and be the same thing. And so I tell people to read the classics, research them, go deep into them, don't read them fast. I don't like um, reading challenges where people are reading a book a month and they're, just, and they're putting them down. I want you to sit and really hold firm and become a researcher and a slow reader. And also anything by Octavia Butler. Her favorite book, my favorite book by her is Kendrick. 